Understanding stress, defensiveness and fight or flight responses. Welcome to episode 6 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. Now I'm going to tell you that the audio on this episode is quite poor but I'm hoping that you're going to excuse that because the content is excellent. If I do say so myself, I hope you enjoy this re-upload from YouTube. I wanted to make a short video to help you understand stress and defensiveness a little bit better than you might already so that you can identify it in yourself and obviously other people when you're dealing with them and maybe make some ways as to learning how to disarm that in yourself and even in other people around you because the closer you get to another person the more certain patterns of behaviour come up and might start simulating defensiveness or stressfulness in you or that other person. It's not necessarily a sign that your relationship's bad, it's just that when you get really close to a person and the more time you spend around one another, the more little events crop up and start triggering one of you or both of you. And it's good to have an understanding of what's going on when that happens. So you can really be there for each other and um, contain one another in those situations and use those situations to gain greater self-understanding, understanding yourself better and understanding the other person better and creating an environment where this, um, where little tensions when they arise can easily be dealt with constructively. Okay, so the first thing I'd like to teach you is I think it's really worthwhile visualising stress in terms of three stages. Now what we usually identify as um, stress, the fight or flight response, in this model is actually the second stage of stressfulness. There's a stage that precedes that and that is a sort of a walk away response. So you know you're in the supermarket you might hear a couple fighting or something like that and you're like, that doesn't feel nice, I'm going to walk away from that. Or it could be on the street, it could be in any situation. Now, the fact that you want to walk away is an indication that you find that somewhat stressful on some level. If you thought that you could stage an intervention in, in a situation where you might want to walk away successfully, I'm not even talking about something that you're, it's nothing to do with you, like in the supermarket. I mean, with an, another person around you, if you thought you could be effective, if you knew you could be effective, you wouldn't have that inclination to walk away. So the walk away response is quite healthy, and that's a natural response to when you don't have a constructive way of intervening in a situation, whether it involves you or not, and you get an urge to walk away. And it's quite possible that that's been desensitized in a lot of people, and they go straight into fight or flight. Now it's worthy of note that the walk away response is not allowed to us as children or most of us as children and to most children in the society. You know, if the child is being scalded and they try to walk away, they're likely to get a response like, don't you walk away from me, young man, and actually the aggression will escalate against them. And that escalates to the second response, the second level of stress which is the fight-or-flight response, or actually more accurately known as the fight-flight-or-freeze response. But we'll come to that a bit later. The fight-or-flight response, which is like, I've got to get away from this, or I've got to make it stop. And a lot of the time, that isn't really allowed in our society either, especially for children. 
but you know at work you know how do we constructively express a fight or flight response without seeming absolutely crazy when these concepts are so little understood I and mean, the inappropriate thing to say was I'm feeling quite stressed can we speak about this our society doesn't allow for that but it's important to understand this is one of the reasons why it's so harmful to spank a child because what happens is they're in an escalated state of tension and they want to engage the fight or flight response, they want to get away or they want to make it stop. Now you grab them when they're, that, they're in that heightened state of tension, you hit them, they can neither flee nor can they stay, stand up for themselves and then you know they flare their limbs which is an indication of trying to get that tension out of the body so if they start crying which is another way of trying to release that tension from the body that uh, highly strung emotion and um, that sometimes elicits empathy in the parent so they say stop that or i'll give you something to cry about this is more and more repression of the negative emotions that are probably causing the behavior the stress that's probably causing the out of control behavior which would lead to a child being hit in the first place and since most of us were probably hit as children as well as screamed at and other things that um, are suboptimal for the development of children it's important to take note of where this stuff might still be kicking around in your body okay i want to speak about the third stage which stress can escalate to which is um, an unconsciousness um, this might be likened to a concept that's known in psychology as dissociation where you're sort of not really connected to your experience and this kind of unconsciousness is the cause of most pathological behaviour as well as addictive behaviours and these are all just ways of trying to medicate distress or avoid facing up to the feelings that come up when one just sits still now I promise to talk a bit more about why it's the fight or flight or freeze response. According to Robert Scare, who is a world leading expert in trauma and the effects of trauma, a trauma is experienced in any situation where a person is subjected to any perceived or real threat to someone's life and they cannot do anything about it, they cannot fight or fly. And in that situation, the brain reacts, but then of its own volition, it does not unreact. Now, however that person dealt with that, that trauma in the moment is likely to start setting certain habits of behavior because in that situation where the brain fights, flies, or freezes, or tries to do one of these things, however it reacts, the brain thinks that's how it survived that incident. So when you see people who go around and they're very belligerent, they're very quick to get aggressive with other people, it's highly plausible that in their life they suffered a trauma or a series of traumas where they went into a fight response. Now the brain thinks that's how I survive these situations. I get belligerent, I get aggressive. And so it's likely to set a sort of habit pattern where belligerence is how that person tends to deal with those situations in general. What can also happen is someone can um, engage a flight response and this can set up the kind of personality which is avoiding. You avoid going into stressful situations, you avoid going, kind of standing up for yourself, asserting yourself, going into conflict 
And I don't mean conflict in a bad way of aggressively. I mean conflict is in confronting people in order to stage an opportunity for problem solving, for mutual gain, which is sometimes necessary. But there's a third response, and that response is the freeze response. That's when, that's when someone neither gets aggressive nor simply tries to flee the situation. Now, this freeze response can lead to things like panic attacks, where a person is just completely paralysed. The same thing to a lesser degree is when people can't speak in front of large groups. I'm sure you can think of lots of examples. Now, in nature, what happens after people suffer a trauma, and you can watch a video on YouTube, I'll try and put a annotation link to this video and embedded in this video, should be coming up on your screen right now. You can see a demonstration of a polar bear being tranquilized. Now when the polar bear is being tranquilized, it um, flails out its limbs and it releases the trauma from its body and that's completely healthy, that's releasing the trauma from its muscles. Now the only animals, or at least the only mammals who do not do this are zoo animals, lab animals, pets and human beings. So this is a natural process which we've been disconnected from. So you see that sometimes when people get stressed, their limbs start shaking, especially the legs, you get these sort of tremors going through your body. Now that's completely healthy, but people who are not in the know will turn to those people and say, calm down, there's no need to shake, there's no need to shake, when actually an appropriate response says, that's right, just slow down your breathing and let the shakes come through, just let them arise and pass away naturally. And that is a much more healthy response to dealing with someone who's got those sort of tremors coming up. Now if you look up trauma release exercises, there should be some material on YouTube or articles on how you can actually induce those sort of tremors and start to let go of some of that stress from your body. What I want to talk about is dealing with this in the context of defensiveness. What happens as a consequence of these traumas not being released from our body is that there is a sort of build-up just underneath the surface and you can see this in people who very easily, they're very quick to anger or they're very quick to freeze up or they have an avoidance as soon as you want to bring up anything important, they just you, you, you just avoid it completely. And I just want to talk a little bit about dealing with the early warning signals of this kind of defensiveness in your relationships. I'm assuming you're not in relationships with people who've got this really, really bad. Um, although you know you might be particularly family members, since when it comes to family, a lot of our guard tends to drop with this stuff and people really really act out their accumulated material on one another but let's just say between you and some friends or between you and your partner when you see the early warning signals of this kind of defensiveness you really want to try and move the conversation over to feelings before you continue any sort of conflict or who's right, who's wrong situation. You want to create an open space where any sort of stressfulness or worry or 
you know, it could just be like I'm noticing that I'm feeling a bit tense while you're talking about this, or I can see that you're feeling a bit tense, or um, are you are you feeling a bit defensive about that? I don't mind if you are. I'm just I'm just wondering. I'm just curious. Now this might seem a bit strange or weird at first, but if you talk about this kind of stuff, and of course you can put the person onto this video to help them understand, but if you can explain some of the concepts, then you can really create a space in your relationship where both of you can be there for each other and just talk about the feelings and let them arise naturally and create a real support for each other. And you'll find by doing this over time, the defensiveness in your relationships starts to sublimate. You'll get into less conflicts. And when you do have conflicts, there'll be a readiness and a willingness to actually discuss what's going on for both of you. This is assuming you are with people who are not so avoidant, so much into the flight response that they can't sustain these kinds of conversations. Or on the other hand, people who just get really belligerent with you, um, in which case you might want to weigh up the pros and cons of continuing to be in a close relationship with them. You might just want to see them less, or you might want to demote them from a close friend to acquaintances, and get the kind of friends in your life who are really willing to have these conversations. So when you're at your most vulnerable, when you're feeling a bit defensive, you know that if you say, um, yeah, I'm actually feeling a bit defensive, I'm noticing that right now, the other person's not going to say, well, you're getting defensive because you're wrong. They're going to say, well, let's talk about that, right? What are you experiencing? What are you feeling? And take some time to calm down. For more information, I put out a really useful video. It got quite a lot of hits quite quickly called, Do You Think Someone Is Being Unreasonable? I highly suggest you check it out if you've not already as a follow-up to this video. It got really good feedback and I think it's a helpful video. I'd like to stress <laughs> some, some other ways of reducing stressfulness in yourself. Now, I wish I had 101 very effective techniques. Truth be told, I only really know a few. Um, I think speaking to a professional could be really, really helpful. I myself do consultations, as people who watch my videos may know, and if you feel like um, you benefit from speaking to someone, I definitely recommend my services, but it doesn't have to be me. You could see a therapist. I'm a particular fan of person-centered therapy and the gestalt therapy. Those, those are two approaches that I think can be quite effective. And I integrate my learnings on those two approaches as well as psychodynamic approach into my own work with clients. But you can do your own research if you want to see a therapist on what approach you think would suit you the best. Another thing I think is really useful is learning to breathe down to your diaphragm. Now this is something that singers are taught, swimmers are taught, all sorts of athletes are taught. And that's when you don't just breathe into your chest, you actually breathe as though your stomach is filling up. And you should be able to feel your stomach come out first and then the air uh, rise into your chest. Um, now, even doing that for a few minutes a day is really, really useful for um, de-stressing and actually allowing 
all sorts of emotions which are a bit repressed to come up and when you first start doing this your mind might resist and say what's the point in this and things like that and that's because when you when you push when your diaphragm pushes down in some ways it's theorized that that actually pushes against some of your oppressions and brings them up to the surface and that's fine you just get used to that you can challenge yourself to five minutes at first then 10 minutes 15 20 I used to do this every night before I go to bed and still do it on a regular basis especially when I'm walking outside it's also really useful to do it in conversations when the stress and tension tends to run high and I've got a video on that as well which I'll put a link to embedded in this video and when I was doing this regularly I got to the point where I could actually breathe in for 30, 40 seconds, 50, maybe even a minute and breathe out for just as long but I don't suggest you start by doing that you know work with maybe a count of 16 or so and if you like then you can extend it to 20 and upwards from there if you feel the, the, the more you slow down your breathing the more your mind slows down and the, the more you begin to de-stress. Okay, another approach which I learned from a spiritual teacher, but uh, whether you're on the spiritual side or the more scientific rational side, I do find it really useful, is, you know, you, you might note that when you're thinking, the faster you're thinking, you're always going forward to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, your mind's going forward and forward and forward. What I find really useful for slowing it down is imagining two cogs on the side of your head just winding down and actually spinning your thoughts backwards and slowing them down and slowing them down and slowing them down and this helps you de-stress and you can combine it with the breathing technique that I've suggested to you. Now it's very important when you're doing this work that you focus on your emotions and your sensations while you're doing it because that is where the real work of releasing stored tensions lies. Not thinking about what you're experiencing too hard but actually putting your focus on the felt sense. Which brings me to another really great technique which is actually using your mind in these situations like taking control of it and not just letting it think what it thinks instead of using it to self-serve to comfort yourself so you'll take control of your mind and start saying things like it's okay you're safe just focus on your sensations just focus on your breath yes that's good don't worry take your time there's nothing to be afraid of and all those sorts of encouraging things so now we've got a model of like three things that you could actually really do at once, you know, wind back your thoughts, take control of your mind and take control of your breath and do these three different techniques in tandem. I think that's very powerful. You're also, while you're doing this, really focusing on your sensations rather than your thoughts themselves. And that's adding a fourth layer to this practice. Now a final thing I want to make sure that you know is stress isn't just held in the mind, it's held in the body and there's a lot of literature on this. Um, a particularly good writer on the subject is Alexander Lowen who he, he invented a modality called bioenergetics which is in order to release these sort of tensions from your body. He was a student of Wilhelm Reichs 
who was a psychologist that was a student in Freud's, one thing that will really help you to reduce stress is to do things like stretching out any tensions in your body and feel for tensions in your shoulders and get them out and don't allow them to accrue. Go for a massage if you need one. For me, a lot of tension is kept in my legs. It's a really great exercise for me to put my foot up on a chair and push down on the knee and pull back my toes towards myself to put a real stretch into that leg for as long as I can take it and do the other leg in turn. You find from doing this kind of body work that um, that's also a good way to release stressfulness from your habit pattern for good. Okay, thank you. That was understanding stress, defensiveness and fight or flight responses. If you're interested in learning more about emotional well-being, module four of my course is called Emotional Well-Being and you can find that course at beyourselfandloveit.com under the course tab. Now there's one more practice that I have discovered since recording this podcast which has really helped me in terms of learning how to process my emotions, which is just simply to watch them in my body. So when you're feeling stressed or defensiveness or anger or any strong and profound emotion, what you can do is you can turn inside and look in the way and see if you can find a sensation corresponding with that emotion in your body, whether it's your chest or your solar plexus or your stomach or hovering around your head and just put your attention on that emotion. Now this isn't a fast practice, it doesn't make changes all of a sudden in an instant like that. But what I found is over time watching my emotions in my body helps me complete incomplete emotional processes and over time I felt a lot more free in myself and less subject to the whims of emotion because you know when you've got emotion there's two extreme ways you can react which is you can either just act out on the emotion and say something which you might regret later or you can repress the emotion and then you find that eventually you explode with that emotion. So a practice for you to try just to see if it works for you or not is that whenever you're having a profound experience, get some time on your own to just watch that emotion in your body and see if that works for you. Until next week, I'm Anthony Samarov. Thank you for tuning in to the Be Yourself and Love It podcast.